0: Hey, yo yo pull out and save, man let's count this money man.
1: Recently someone at my office said I'm really not into hip hop what should I listen to to convince me Now, there are a lot of great answers to that not-so-great question. I've never heard anyone ask which one rock record they should listen to. But of course, I started thinking. Paid in full, 36 chambers, under construction, damn. I don't think I'd trust anyone who doesn't think Monster or anything by Megan Thee Stallion isn't fun as hell. If I were going to pick one album that crystallizes everything that's thrilling about hip hop, though, the beats, the syncopation, the wordplay, the rhymes, the flow, and above all, the storytelling, no question, it's got to be Illmatic.
2: Nas's
1: 1994 debut starts with a New York City sound collage and then comes probably the biggest fake out in the history of pop music New York State of Mind starts like this straight out the fucking dungeons of rap where fake n-words don't make it back I don't know how to start this shit and then what happens next well we'll talk about it a lot Today on Hidden Jukebox, Nas' Illmatic.
3: Now, the first thing I want to say here is... Is my rapping was exceptional? I think we're going to see that over and over again (laughs) on this episode, that both of us have dope rhyme skills. Mm -hmm. This is the first album that we have done on this now 12 episode show that I felt totally unprepared for to be fully transparent. I had never heard this album before preparing for this. Oh, I'm and, so excited and to hear
1: what you thought. I
3: know that this is one of your favorite albums, period, not uh-huh. just hip hop albums. And part of what fascinates me about this is not just that it's such a good album that I didn't know about, but kind of exemplifies how the 90s were a time when you didn't even have to have a hit song off your album to sell a million copies. It took a while. It took seven years for this album to sell a million copies. But nevertheless, there were so many platinum albums. And one of the things that we do on this show that I insisted upon is I want to do hit albums from the 90s so we want to do albums that sell that a million heard of, copies of more, right that you've heard of and this is somehow an underground album that's also a smash success and by most hip-hop head standards one of the best if not the best hip-hop album of all time
1: yeah i didn't actually look it up but i wouldn't be surprised if this is Nas's worst selling album it's
3: Probably his worst selling album because after this, he became a hit maker. Right. And, you know, a lot of people said he sold out. He became mainstream. Things like If I Ruled the World came out and he had his feuds with famous artists like Jay-Z. Right. So he came into the spotlight. But this album didn't really throw him into that. And yet you talk to anybody who's a fan of hip hop and people who are in the hip hop community and all of them list this as one of the best hip hop albums of all time.
1: Yeah, a thing I kept struggling with, I mean like as usual, you know, doing this album I feel like we are, we are two middle-aged white guys talking about a rap album. And like are going to say something really stupid sooner or later. The thing that I kept looking for was how revolutionary was this? Because I'm sure Nas was not like the literally the first person to rhyme like this. But if you look at what were the hit rap albums, like really great albums from 1993, which was an incredible year for hip hop, they just don't sound like this lyrically. You know, we did Doggy Style, which is a super fun album with a lot of great performances on it. Just don't have that kind of rhythmic structure that everything since 1993. 1994 has been influenced by, I feel like.
3: For for those that don't know, Matthew and I grew up on the rough streets of Portland, Oregon, uh-huh. one of the whitest cities in the country per capita. Possibly the world. Um, it was rough, you know? I mean, we really knew what it was like to experience gang violence and what it was like growing up on the streets.
1: Yeah, we, we knew what it was
3: like to sometimes run low on pudding. I mean, <laughs> but, so... But damn, shit got hard after that. Right. So yes, we don't come from this background and it's hard to try to identify, but I want to dive into the music first and then then I want to dive into what was going on on the West Coast at the time and what was going on on the East Coast, what made them different and how this kind of came before the East Coast, West Coast rap feud when everybody was just trying to do their thing. Okay. So what song do you want to start with?
1: Oh, I mean, I want to start with New York State of Mind.
2: Yo black, it's time, bro. Bird's time it's time, man. man. Alright, begin. Yeah. straight out the fucking dungeons of rap. where fake niggas don't make it back, I don't know how to start this, yo. No. I'm a monkey flipping with the funky rhythm. I be kicking, musician, the composition, a pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing cocaine, holding an M16. See with the pen, I'm extreme now bullet holes, left in my peak holes. I'm suited up with street clothes, hand me a nine and out defeat foes, y'all know my steelo, with or without the airplay, I keep some E and J, sitting bent up in the stairway, or either on the corner betting grants with the CeeLo champs, laughing at bass heads, trying to sell some broken amps, G-Packs get off quick, forever niggas talk shit, reminiscing about the last time the task force flipped, niggas be running through the block shooting, time to start the revolution, catch a body head for Houston, once they caught us off guard, the Mac Timbers,
1: I don't even, like, I want to, not only do I want to play the whole song, like, I could, if this song was 18 verses long, I want to hear this go on forever. This is one of my favorite songs of all time.
3: So... The first thing that I want to bring up and one of the differences between what the West Coast was doing at this time versus the East Coast was the West Coast kind of adopted what was going on on the East Coast in the 80s and in the 90s did these party anthems. They they created mainstream hits by writing in what were essentially choruses into rap songs. Nas here is only using the line New York State of Mind at the end of each of his verses it's not a chorus there's no chorus so this could. And it's not
1: him well I mean he says it and then it's it's a Rakim sample that is the actual chorus.
3: Right but it's barely a chorus. I mean it's not the type of thing that you're going to be at a party and everybody's going to start throwing their hands up and repeating it
1: over and over again.
3: It's artistry in a way that he is cutting through the lyrics and figuring out how to create rhymes.
1: Right there's like the technical rhyme Part of it, and then there's like the the atmospheric storytelling part, because like he establishes, you know, here here's who I am, and this is like what my neighborhood is like, and now let's walk through like a day in the life of uh, life of crime. There is so much incredible detail in this song. I have listened to it a thousand times and find something new all the time. It's
3: such an amazing way to really open up an album. And one of the things that caught me about listening to this album in its entirety a few times this week. Was that the West Coast and a lot of albums on the East Coast after this created this storytelling narrative through these interludes and this album kind of starts with an intro that feels like there's going to be interludes, but then it's a very concise 40 minute album of individual tracks. And this kind of starts that flow of Nas really creating this atmosphere of talking about where he's from, who he is, and then talking about what it's like writing rap about it.
1: Yes. Yeah, there's there's like many meta levels going on.
3: his, His subject matter is sometimes just rap itself. Yeah. And rhyming, which,
1: which was certainly not a new thing for for rap lyrics. Oh no, no, no! I, I and mean, like is is the subject of many many rap lyrics.
3: So so one of the things I was I was trying to figure out this week was where the natural progression of eighties hip hop on the East Coast morphed into this nineties hip hop thing. Right, because you listen to Run DMC or LL Cool J, it doesn't sound. Anything like this
1: No, and interestingly There is a track from 1991 From a band called Main Source The track is called Live at the Barbecue And it starts off with a verse by Nas In 1991 So three years before Illmatic And it is like a solid 80s rap verse He has not figured out How to do the thing that made him Nas yet
3: And we'll cover in a little bit What a solid 80s rap verse was Yes,
1: I'm so glad you did this deep dive
3: But, you know... (laughs) What was going on in terms of subject matter and themes in the 80s was here's the clothes that I wear. Yeah. Here's the parties that I go to. Here's the alcohol I drink. Like I said, it's kind of what moved to the West Coast. And the West Coast, despite doing the gangster rap thing, was also doing we like to party. We like chicks. We like our kicks. And somehow that moves to the West Coast. And the East Coast, in, in the meantime, becomes... More of this. I came up from the streets, but I also am still, you know, dark, living in this crime-filled life, right? You know, it turned from the party anthems back into this, like,
1: but with with a lot of introspection. Like, I think you know, that's that's what like reasonable doubt, like from from like start to finish, like Jay Z's debut. Yeah, that's the right title of that album, right? Yes, it is. That, that it's all. It's all about like okay, like you know, what what is the right thing for me to do in this context? Because I don't want to like give up the riches that I've made but I also want to feel like I'm a good person
3: right so one of the things that I noticed was there's this need for the for the East Coast to kind of find its identity because mm-hmm. the West Coast had done so well just before this album, where Dre and Snoop and Tupac and Cypress Hill were having these enormous hits, yep. and the East Coast, who dominated in the '80s, were trying to find an answer to it. We're trying to find their voice. Yeah. Now, strangely enough. Where they ended up finding it was like Notorious B.I.G. and mm-hmm. Puff Daddy and that entire crew. But this was kind of this gray area in between that. And Nas was the voice for a short period of time there where everybody looked to him and said, this is the guy. This is the sound that we're heading towards. And part of it was Drake created this P-Funk kind of. Yeah party rhythm behind everything that was going on the really melodic keys and the east coast for some reason and it works but it's so interesting took like obscure jazz tracks yes. with a soft backbeat and put that behind all of the music and you can really hear it on 36 chambers as yep. well and then Wu-Tang forever after that like Everybody on the East Coast adopted this theme before they started putting out their party anthems in the mid to late 90s.
1: Yeah, and you can hear that like that through line all the way through like to Pimp a Butterfly. Right. Okay, so a couple a couple of my favorite lines from New York State of Mind and there are so many. It's got like, you know, classic quotable lines like life is parallel to hell, but I must maintain I never sleep because sleep in the, is the cousin of death, which uh is not not a phrase that Nas came up with. He said he like, you know, just something he heard around in Queens. My favorite line for the song, though, I think, is never put me in your box if your shit eats tapes.
3: <laughs> that is so good. It's so
1: good. <laughs> and he was 18 years old when he recorded this. That is incredible. I don't even understand.
3: Not only 18, but he had dropped out of high school. Right. Like, not to say that somebody can't educate themselves or find an mm-hmm. education, but his level of understanding of the English language and the way he uses it is so advanced that two of us who talk you sometimes for a living yes Cannot put together sentences the no. way that this guy could when he was eighteen years old.
1: No, and something something we should note, um, which uh, like go go YouTube this is that that I think of Nas as like the Eddie Vedder of hip hop in the sense that when he is performing, he has an amazingly powerful, beautiful voice that can like bring almost any emotion he can call up that he needs to. And then when he does an interview, he sounds like he's playing Candy Crush and on all the Valium at the same time.
3: <laughs> it's like he's doing mumble rap when he interviews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, <you> know. <laughs> I want to listen to The World Is Yours, and okay. I'm kind of going to take a deep dive into lyrics from yes.
1: here.
2: The world is yours, the world is yours. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, whose world is this? It's mine, it's mine, it's it's mine, whose world is this? The world is yours, the world is yours. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's I sit the a dumb peak business. watching Gandhi till I'm charged and writing in my book of rhymes, all the words past the margin. The whole of mic, I'm throbbing, mechanical movement, understandable smooth shit that murderers move with. The thief's theme, the thief's play me theme. at night, they won't act right. The fiend of hip hop has got me stuck like a crack pipe. The mine activation, react like I'm facing time like Pappy Mason with pins I'm embracing. Wipe the sweat off my dome, spit the phlegm on the streets, Suede Tim's on my beats. My cypher, complete weather, cruising in a six cam. I'm on tarot deep, I can't call it. The beats make me fallin' asleep, I keep falling. We're never falling six feet deep. I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for dead presidents to represent me. me. World is this. The world is yours. The
1: world is yours. All so, right, let's do this.
3: So th- this song, first off, does have that hook that is kind of a chorus. And I think it was the first single that was released off the album. It's probably yeah, I think the most, right. most well-known, although you might argue that. It's it's one of the only ones that I listened to. I said, okay, I've heard this before. No, I think you're right. So... I want to read the lyrics to My Adidas by Run DMC, which was an 80s track and was really well known. I mean, this was a huge hit for them.
1: Oh, yeah. No, when I I remember, like, I think you were too young to remember when Raising Hell came out, probably. Yeah, I was. I remember because I remember be Illin and then, like, everybody had to get that album. No, We we were all completely blown away by this.
3: Again, that was us coming from Portland. Yes. Everywhere in the United States, if not the world. It made an impact Yeah But in the 80s What was going on Was these basic Line by line rhymes So the first verse Of my Adidas Walk through concert doors And roam all over Coliseum floors I stepped on stage At live aid All the people Gave an applause That paid And out of the speakers I did speak I wore my sneakers But I'm not a sneak My Adidas cut the sand Of a foreign land so, you know, it, it's uh-huh. it's very basic, but it's very, very catchy.
1: Oh, yeah. This is, this is not a slam on my Adidas.
3: No. I mean, part of what makes it so catchy is that it's really, really easy to speak it back, to sing along with it. Like, people memorized this track. It is very, very hard to memorize Nas tracks. You apparently have,
1: and... Uh, I mean, like, here and there.
3: Well, you've told me that your kid, Iris also apparently knows most of this album front to back. Is that
1: true? Uh, probably not.
3: <laughs> I like to picture Iris at four years old rapping New York State of Mind. But I'm gonna try and do this and try okay. and get try and give an idea of how the rhyming pattern goes now only a few years after my Adidas and what Nas is doing. I sip the Dom P watching Gandhi I'm charged that's one line mm-hmm. then writing in my book of rhymes all the word past the margin he's rhymed charge and margin yeah to hold the mic on throbbing mechanical movement understanding smooth shit that murderers move with that's three words that rhyme yeah the thief's theme play me at night they won't act right the fiend of hip-hop has got me stuck like a crap pipe the mind activation react like I'm facing time like he stuck two rhymes in there and then gone back to the first. Yeah, rhyme. yeah, they overlap. Pappy Mason with with pens I'm embracing, which rhyme from two words from the line previous. Now, these next lines wipe the sweat off my dome, spit the phlegm on the streets, swayed Tim's on my feet, make the cypher complete, whether cruising in a Sikhs cab or Montero Jeep. I can't call it the beats, make me fall asleep. I keep falling, but never falling six feet deep. Mm-hmm. In there, he rhymes eight words in the course of five lines. Yeah. And you mentioned that he's using so much with syllables and gutturals and ways that he is accenting these words
1: right so this is this is a a crazy theory that either like it's something everybody knows that i stole or it's untrue or i came up with something clever one of those three i think sung music is more about vowels And rap music is more about consonants because he is not only, you know, figuring out where all the rhymes should fall, but also like he emphasizes his consonants like very clearly and like sticks them to the beats that he wants them to go with. And he's really good with, like, K sounds and, like, at the ends of words and, like, making those act as, like, a percussive element.
3: Right. I I think of, like, We Will Rock You. We will. We will. Like, something that everybody can sing along with. This is percussive Mm -hmm. in in the way that it's sung. But really, what, what I'm trying to point out here is... The complexity of rhyming in just a short amount of time from Run DMC's big hit has gone up tenfold. Like, I don't even know how you come up with stuff or start putting pen to paper and put stuff like this together.
1: That's what I Like. Again, there there were certainly people doing this before Nas, but I think for many, many people, both rappers and rap listeners, like this was the first time they heard like, you can do that. We we didn't know you could go like six levels beyond what we were doing. And
3: and and he's consistent with it too throughout the album. Like there's not these throwaway tracks where you're like, eh.
1: Later there would be. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm not saying the guy has been perfect his entire career, but this album as a whole source magazine was the be-all end-all place to go for hip-hop media coverage because a lot of people weren't doing it in this day and age and they were the ones who would always review just about any Mm hip-hop album that came out and just like rolling stone would rarely give five-star reviews unless you were springsteen or neil young right source Up to this point had only given one Five mic review as they called It at this time and they gave it to This debut album from a Virtually unknown artist Mm -hmm. And it sent people Into a tailspin where they're like I don't know if you can do this this is Unfair to other people who've come before him And they defended it and said Nobody's done things like This before this guy is completely Changing the game and the way
1: that people do Hip hop yeah should we listen to another song Sure how about life's a bitch
0: so let's keep it real, son count this money, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Hey yo, put the grass over there in the safe, you know what I'm saying? Cause we spinning yeah, these yeah. Jacksons. The Washingtons go to wife, you know how that go. I'm saying that's what this is all about, right?
2: Clothes, bank, rolls and hoes you know what I'm saying? Yo, then what, man?
0: And the realism of life and actuality. Fuck who's the baddest. Approach and status depends on salary. And my mentality is money orientated. I'm destined to live the dream for all my peeps who never made it. Cause yeah, we were beginners in the hood as proper sinners. But something must have got in us. Cause all of us turn us Now some rest in peace pieces some are sitting. this not quitting. Others, such as myself, are trying to carry on tradition. Keeping this weapon resting, speak at of Western societies. Cause it provides us with the proper insights that got us. Even though we know somehow we all gotta go, but as long as we leave so into so, that day we fire and turn the vapors me and my capers i'll be somewhere stacking plenty papers keeping it
1: Okay, so th- this has the least Nas of any track on this album, but Nas comes in with the second verse. And one thing I like about this song, other than it's just like so much fun, <laughs> yeah. um, is the like clash in like w- you know worldviews or paths you can take between Az's verse and then Nas's verse. Because Az's verse is very like nihilistic, yeah, and then Nas's verse is like no, but like here is another way you can go. Like I I made it I made it to twenty years old things might turn around for you.
3: Right. This brings up a point that Nas wasn't born in Queens. He was born in Brooklyn, but very early on, (laughs) moved to Queensbridge, which is the largest project in New York, or at the time was the largest project in New York. And not that they were looking for an identity of a place, but West Coast Rap kind of adopted Compton as like their home base. Like, no, we really come from the streets. And Nas was kind of saying Queensbridge was our streets. This is where we came from. And this is what unifies us. He really identified with it. You know, it's part of the East Coast trying to find their identity and it was a place that he felt that they could put a face to what was going on. Yeah. And again, Wu-Tang came from the projects as well and became a gang of their own but through hip hop instead of through violence. Right. So I I like the way that he creates Queen Brit Queensbridge is almost a character on this album as like its own identity.
1: Yes, and he go I mean he goes back to that throughout his career but um my second favorite and sometimes my favorite Nas album is Life Is Good from 2012. He really digs back into the Queensbridge stuff on that album, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna like violate the format of the show, and uh, just, I would just want to play a little bit of uh, the opening track of "Life Is Good" because no. <laughs> it's uh, it's called No Introduction, and it's uh, it's easily like one of my top five favorite songs.
2: It's embarrassed, but managed to get a plate. We was kids, hungry. Mom's working, I was famished. She getting home late. So I decided now I'm in charge Either stay full of star, corner Cornerstone like Mr. Spare Quarter Before air Jordan's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Trying to cop quarters and try to move that hard Roll with a shooter squad How could I not succumb? How could I not partake? Fifteen, I got a gun Sixteen, I robbed a train Licked off a shot for fun What's got inside my brain? A hustler's job ain't done Till he becomes a king
3: but I'm a Anyway <laughs> It's great It's It's got a great beat He's doing his thing but it feels, to me, a little bit forced, like Oh,
1: sure. Like it's it's almost the West Coast thing. I think maybe what I love so much about that song is, yeah, I mean, the production is like too big. It kind of combines <laughs> what I love about Nas with what I love about Goodbye Yellow Brick Road into one song. <laughs> okay, that you're going to have to explain. Well, I mean, the, the, the intro pretty much sounds like Goodbye Yellow Brick oh, Road. Oh, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> It's like, could we do those all together?
3: Yeah, I'm sure you could say that to Nas and you go, what the fuck is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road?
1: No, I'm sorry. Nas Nas knows Goodbye Yellow Brick Road very well, I think.
3: (laughs) I'm just waiting for that Elton John, Nasty Nas collab. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, let's listen to Halftime. Okay.
2: Y'all. Cry, cry, cry. Nasty knives in your area about to cause mass hysteria. Before a blunt, I take out my fronts. Then I start the front. Matter of fact, I be on a manhunt. You couldn't catch me in the streets without a ton of reefer. That's like Malcolm X catching a jungle fever. King poetic, too much flavor. I'm major. Atlanta ain't braver. I pull a number like a pager. Because I'm an ace when I face the base. 40 side is the place that is giving me grace. Now wait, another dose say you might be dead. And I'm a Nike head. I wear chains that excite the feds. It ain't a damn thing going to change. I'm a performer. strange show to Mike. Was born again. now why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's half time. It's half time. That's
1: got a chorus.
3: It does. And some stuff has a course, but again, it's hardly like a party banger where everybody's at the party going, it's halftime.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes.
3: It's it's just not singable like rolling down the street, smoking Indo, right? sipping on gin and juice. This song was released in between Live at the Barbecue and Illmatic. Right. It was his first single... And he wasn't signed when he recorded this. There's lyrics about Queensbridge. He's kind of doing the "I write this, I rhyme this, I say this, I'm an MC" thing yes. in this song. There's
1: there's also there's also a uh, anti-gay slur in this song. There is, which there, I'm glad you didn't get to. Yeah, there's there's one there's one hiding in New York State of Mind also, which uh, makes me very unhappy. It
3: it feels like he's still doing the okay. Here's where I come from. Here's what rap is supposed to be, but. He's his rhymes are starting to get into what we see on Illmatic, so yeah, it, it's an interesting kind of bridge between the '80s New York scene and what he created with Illmatic. He even calls himself Na- Nasty Nas at right. the beginning of this, which was the name that he was going by before the label picked him up, and he just dropped it to Nas,
1: but but was still nasty. Yeah, we Ugh. should we should be sure and emphasize.
3: Yes, once nasty, always, always nasty.
1: nasty. <laughs> Uh, we've always said that on the show uh,
3: he, He's as nasty as he wants to
1: be That's true Just like 2 Live Crew Does anybody still listen to that album?
3: Uh, I'm, I'm sure some people But I don't think that It's it's not like how kids pick up the doors When they're like 12 years right. old and, and go Jim Morrison's my hero Nobody picks up 2 Live like Crew and Luke goes Luke
1: Campbell is my hero <laughs> this, this is the sound that we've been missing Uh huh <laughs> Hey, this is your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Uh, uh, Barry. (laughs) You know that new sound that you've been
3: looking for? Well, listen to this.
1: Uh, exactly that would be a very different movie uh, well which i could kind of like to see
3: sounds like we're covering two live crew on this show too
1: (laughs) (laughs) was nasty as they want to be that was that still 80s or was that the 90s i don't know if that
3: was the 90s but i know that they released an album in the 90s yeah Um, i
1: mean they probably released an album in the 2010s because like why wouldn't they
3: yeah i mean come on they they had to like make money somehow because they were probably completely broke by that time
1: a couple of years ago there was an episode i think of npr's planet money about two live crew and the several famous lawsuits that they were involved in about obscenity and parody and uh so on and uh they had luther campbell as a guest on the show and and they're like can you can you like do the the refrain from your most famous song and he's like seriously on npr and he's like okay when somebody went said, hey, we want some beep.
3: <laughs> now, I, now I want to hear the Terry Gross interview with Too Short. <laughs> tell, tell me about what inspired you to write Blowjob Betty. <laughs> uh, Matthew, what's
1: your next track? Oh, I don't even know. Okay, it is. Uh, it ain't hard to tell. Really, I like how how dense the the background is. Did
3: Columbia own what what song is that? Human, Human Nature? Nature.
1: Yeah, it, Michael Jackson. I assume so. I think or uh, is that MCA? Is Columbia MCA? Yes, they are. Okay, I think yes, because otherwise, how could he do that?
3: Yeah, because for a debut album that they're taking a chance on, right. I mean, that had to cost Buku bucks.
1: Yeah, so it's got the Michael Jackson sample in there. It's got it's got like a horn from something else. It's it's dissonant. And I love how he, he sampled, like, basically Michael Jackson's softest song for, for one of the hardest hitting tracks on the record.
3: True. And does it in a way that isn't tongue in cheek or or yeah. pretentious in any way. Like, Absolutely. Like, it really works. You almost forget that, like, it comes in, but he's adding layers and elements on top of it that you, that you almost forget that it's even there. Like, yes. it feels like a part of this song. Unlike, I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan of Puff Daddy. I felt like he was just taking Man, other yeah. people's songs and going, now let's rap over the top of it. Right. He even says, we take hits from the 80s, do a sound so crazy. Yeah. Like, he's admitting it. And did he do anything else besides go, and we can't stop because we won't stop? I don't know.
1: I Probably should, not. I should
3: add in here that Puff Daddy did eventually produce Nas, and they kind yeah. of rolled in the same circles after a while. He, he helped him- flow into into the mainstream but his best stuff is not with Puff Daddy.
1: True. Um in this song uh Nas uh, has the line uh Nas is like the Afrocentric Asian half man half amazing. I love that. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I I don't either, but but I mean it's uh African American origin myth uh stuff and uh but mixed with half man half amazing.
3: Uh I I should add in here only speaking of afrocentric asians the person who originally did the review through source magazine Uh of this album that gave it five mics was an asian woman so i i don't remember her original name but she went by shorty at the time and she's the one who gave the five mic review to this album and apparently around that time she got death threats based on her reviews and people would would say I want to kill this guy and nobody knew it was a woman and later on when she came out As a woman reviewer, it was also discovered that she's not black at all. She's an Asian woman who had been hired by Source Magazine. And they were, you know, kind of, I won't say disguising it. I'm not sure that they were trying to keep it a secret. But everybody made this assumption that Shorty must be some black guy who's who's reviewing black music. And in truth, they just hired a really great writer who understood music really
1: well. Now I want to read this review. It is. It's an amazing review can we, can we link to it in the show notes? Yeah, we, okay.
3: we can As well as an interview that I, f- I found with her years later Where she talks about what it was like at that time for her And why she picked five mics for this al- this album And what made it so great in her eyes
1: Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to read that
3: My last track is One Love Which I partially think is great Because I'm a huge fan of Q-Tip And All right. he's on this track and produced it
2: or this bone, you got six minutes on that Jack, kid, that shit is real. Hey yo, hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, yo, check this shit out, man. Hey, yo, go, out, give me a cigarette, man. Yo, here yo, go, here you, hey, go, here you, you go. Check it out, man. Check out what I got here, man. What is that? What is, what's that? Yo, see I got off my man Niles, man. Yo. Where was this Yo. bone? Yo. What it say, kid? What up, kid? I know shit is rough doing your bit. When the cops came, you should have slid to my crib. Fuck it, black, no time for looking back is done. Plus, congratulations, you know you got a son. I heard he looks like ya. Why don't your lady write ya? Told her she should visit, that's when she got hyper. Flippin', Talking about he acts too rough. He didn't listen, he be rippin' while I'm telling him stuff. I was like, yeah, shorty don't care. She a snake, too. Fuckin' with them niggas from that fake. True they hate you But yo Guess who got shot In the dome piece Jerome's niece On our way home From Jones Beach It's bug Plus little Rob was selling drugs On a dime Hanging out With young thugs That all carry nines And nighttime Is more tripe than ever
1: did, did you catch he, he rhymed Dome Peace With Jerome's niece On the way back From Jones Beach I know It's, it's <laughs> so good
3: It is so unbelievably good And this track Is kind of a letter To his friends His incarcerated friends Right You know, calling back to Queensbridge again in his upbringing, he was a huge fan of Tribe Called Quest this time. Mm They had had a couple of major albums, and they were in the middle of recording Midnight Marauders uh, at at the time that he was recording this. And Q-Tip came in to produce it, and he was incredibly honored to have him in the studio. Q-Tip comes in and samples this obscure track from the Heath brothers called Smile and Billy Sweet. Okay. And... It just vibes under a hip-hop track. You wouldn't think it works, and it's nothing like what was going on on the West Coast.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it, it, I wonder if we can hear that track.
3: It was very hard for me to find. I had to find it on YouTube. It's not on okay. Spotify. All right. I will say this. At the end of this track, he does a bunch of shout-outs to his friends, since it's kind of a tribute to all of his friends and the people he grew up with. And for the second time on this album... He calls out a guy named Oogie. Uh Uh-huh. I am dying to know who Oogie is. I tried to look this up. Oh, interesting. And I couldn't find Oogie anywhere. Okay,
1: so if we can get Nas on the show, the two things we want to ask so far are, what do you think of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and who's Oogie?
3: Oh, and I want to talk to him a little bit about Two Live Crew.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Since they were both nasty. Something worth noting, but maybe not listening to, is that there's a symphonic version of this album performed like with a live symphony orchestra a couple of years ago. Is he actually performing oh,
3: yes. with them, like the whole thing yes. is live? And it's not bad.
1: I don't think you necessarily want to listen to the whole thing straight through, but it's an interesting experiment.
3: Was it the same symphony that did the Metallica symphonic
1: album? That is a really good question. Because Um, if so, they are multi-talented. Okay, so Illmatic, live from the Kennedy Center with the National Symphony Orchestra, 2018. Metallica... That Metallica thing was a
3: joke. I don't... If this is going to actually match up, I'm going to be totally shocked.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, so... Oh, it's S and M, Symphony and Metallica, live at Berkeley Community Theater. I don't think so.
3: S and M, that is so
1: embarrassing. (laughs) So no, it was a yes.
3: It's so dumb.
1: But, like, I don't know. When they, like when you have an opportunity to play with the symphony, I guess everyone just says yes. I I guess everyone? It feels like a big honor. Everyone? I I don't know. I don't know. Who do you think has said no to a symphony? One other thing about One Love is um, I wonder if someone's made a super cut of, like, many, like, not all the times because that would be impossible, but the many times in hip-hop songs when someone has said, yo, check this shit out. Because <laughs> I think it's a lot of times.
3: Oh, Is it word is born or word is bomb? Oh, I don't know. See, now this just shows how out of touch we are with hip-hop culture. Because he says it at the beginning of this track, and that's something that you hear in hip-hop songs a lot
1: as well. Yeah, but I mean, that's what Genius.com is for.
3: Oh, so we can look these things up.
1: Yes. All right, anything else? What what should we do next?
3: Um, Well, we here at Hidden Jukebox try to pick six albums at a time and we finished our list of six here and we haven't picked the next list yeah we we have had a lot of requests for third eye blind self titled album maybe we should do it we're probably gonna have to throw it in there even though neither of us know it maybe we'll become huge fans I, I don't know so that might be in there if you have other suggestions hit us up on Instagram or on Facebook we're at instagram.com slash jukebox hidden we're at facebook.com slash hidden jukebox yep. we also have a website hidden jukebox.com and here is where i'm going to make a pathetic plea to tell your friends about our podcast if you like it because the only way that we keep doing this is if we get more listeners yeah this is
1: our mixtape. yeah do not put us in your box if your shit eats tape <laughs> But if it doesn't, put us in your box.
3: it It's a little bit self-serving in, in that we would probably sit around talking about music for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. even if we weren't doing it on microphone. But we hope that you get some enjoyment out of it, too. And maybe your friends would get some enjoyment out of it. And remember, if there's an episode that you're like, I didn't like that artist, I didn't like that album, that might be the one that you're most surprised about because you're going to learn something that you never knew. That's true. And maybe you're going to find something that you actually like that you didn't know about.
1: I mean, we haven't done any, like, Weezer Blue album. That should be in our next...
3: We haven't done any Nirvana.
1: I know. I I was thinking about that also.
3: You know, there there's some big ones to hit,
1: like Alice in really Chains yeah. and
3: Soundgarden that, that, that we haven't hit yet. So we have a lot to get to in the future here. But like I said, send us your suggestions. And until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster-Burton.